14 divided by oh, 14. Two, what, three, 24, one. One, good job. Okay, Excellent. okay. Welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. Today I'm joined by Rob Aronson, who I've gotten to know over the past month or so as we've worked on the alumni podcast coming to BYU-Idaho. Rob is a man who is not afraid to try something new. He's excited for challenges, and he looks for them in his life. He's had quite the career experience and would like to tell you to let the child within you stay alive. Remember, after today's episode, to take some time out of your day, just five minutes, to listen to the people around you. I guarantee it'll bless their life and yours. Brother Aronson, or Rob, I guess. Yes. Welcome to MyWax Museum. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here today. So uh, why don't we go ahead and start with uh, how we know each other. All right. Uh, the, the reason that we know each other, as far as I know uh, from our acquaintance, is because our office, or my office, I should say, the alumni office, we are in the midst of, of um, creating podcasts with alumni and making those podcasts available to the student body at BYU-Idaho so that the students can learn from alumni who are out there in the world to work about what they do and how that can be a benefit to the students. Yeah. In yeah. other words, their path, where yeah. the, how they got there. Which I'm super excited for. I actually, um, the podcast starts in September. Yes. The alumni podcast. Yes. We are starting to create the podcast now, and then they'll be broadcast yeah. in fall semester. Yeah. I was fortunate. Uh, Loretta was on this show a few weeks back. Oh, wonderful. Um, and she, I mean, you know Loretta. She's fantastic. Yes. And I actually got to listen through her first interview. Uh, oh. So the first episode of the podcast, I've already listened to it. All right. And it's awesome yes uh, Loretta's gonna do a fantastic job with this we we uh, opened up the process to have students apply for this particular position that Loretta that Loretta is in mm-hmm. and she was the one we selected and we are so grateful that we have her on our team she'll do a great job oh yeah yeah she's fantastic so then, uh, so that's how we know each other, uh, kind of making this podcast. And, yes. And then going back, all the way back to the beginning, <clears throat> where were you born? Uh, I was born right here in Idaho. Really? Back in 1961. Wow, okay. And I was actually born in the uh, the Idaho Falls Hospital that was, lo- that was located Right next to the Idaho Falls Temple. There was a hospital there? There was a hospital right next to it, and it's been torn down now. Really? Yes, yes. Wow. It was the LDS Hospital. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's where I was born. Yeah, and so did you grow up in Idaho Falls? I did not. Uh, That's where I was born. However, I grew up until I was about 10 years old in Rigby, Idaho. In Rigby, okay. Rigby, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is right between, it's like right between here and Idaho Falls. Yes, right? it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. 
And so what, w- what was that experience like? Like childhood in the 60s and 70s, growing <laughs> up, what was that like for you in Rigby? It was a wonderful, I'm going to say, adventure. Yeah. And the reason I say adventure is because, one, because of my family situation. Um, my mother and father divorced when I was two years old. I lived with my mother from that point on, and she was not able to financially support uh, our young family at that point, and so she actually moved in with her parents in Rigby, and so I, I grew up there until the fourth grade. Really? Yeah. And so did that create a pretty strong bond between you and your grandparents? It did. And then unfortunately, my grandfather passed away uh, with in a couple of three years after we had moved there. Oh, really? And I don't remember much about him, but I do remember quite a bit about my grandmother. Yeah. And so forth. And so that, that was a really good bonding experience for us, especially with uh, my my grandmother at that mm-hmm. point, she means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, it, it's interesting how often <clears throat> women play such a spotlight in the raising. Yes. Of of us as children. Yes. And uh, and that's that's fantastic that you got to have that bond and grow that that bond there. Yeah. Um, so oh. oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and and then from there. You know, at around age 10, that was another transitional point in my life because that's when my mother remarried. Mm-hmm. And she married a gentleman from Teton City, Idaho, which is probably about eight miles from here. Okay. So at that point, we then moved like I said, to Teton City. And uh, that was another great experience for me because I I spent the rest of my younger years growing up in Teton City and learning about hard work because my stepfather was a farmer mm-hmm. and about values and how important they are in your life. Before that, when I was living in Rigby, my mother, bless her heart, you know, she tried to support us and so forth, but uh, I don't know. Uh, Some things were just not as important in her life as far as values are concerned, and so I didn't learn a whole lot there as far as what my values are, but I picked them up in Teton when I moved there, when she married. Yeah, and so did you... Um, did you have any siblings from I did. your mother and father as well? Yes. Okay. So I have one full brother, full-blooded okay. brother, and then I have a half sister and a half brother. Okay. And then because my mother married this gentleman from Teton, yeah. I have two step brothers. So, okay, okay. So it's a very blended family that I have. This sounds a lot like my family, so it's kind of funny. Okay, so you have two <clears throat> full siblings, brothers? One full sibling One full is sibling. a brother who's passed away now. Okay, and he's older? He's a whole ten and a half months older than I am. Oh, wow, very close. Yes. Holy cow. 
Yes. And uh, and then you have two I, half yes siblings. A half brother and a half sister. My half sister is has passed away also, but I I still have a half brother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're younger than you. No, he's older. Oh, that's older. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then and then you have two step two brothers, two step brothers. Two step beyond brothers. that. Yep. Wow. Yep. And so, were you were you close growing up? Was you know, it's interesting that you ask that, Alex. Because I think about my my siblings, whether they be my step siblings or my half siblings or my brother, who is my full blooded sibling, mm-hmm. and and out of uh, all of the half and full siblings, I am the one that was closest to probably everybody. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I have. I'm kind of the peacemaker, if you will. Yeah. Or was in my family. And so I I got along pretty well with everybody. Yeah. Including my stepfather. That's a nice spot to be in. It I was. Think. Yeah. And was that something you just kind of fell into naturally or did yeah. you have to work at it? No, I have, I fell into it because that's more of my personality. Right. That I'm like that. Right. Yeah, so it was pretty easy for me. So how... I mean, what is a peacemaker's personality? Peacemaker's personality, for me, the definition is somebody who, of course, tries to make sure there's tranquility and harmony within the home. And it's uh, part of the definition is being the person of whom others like to be around hmm. in the home. Yeah. So how... Uh, do you have any examples of how you made that happen, of how you made yourself nice to be around? Well, I remember one time after my mother had uh, remarried my uh, stepfather, and I was young, probably 11 or something like that, and we were out hauling hay one time, and I just remember calling my stepfather dad Hmm. and I just took it upon myself you know even though I had a biological father right I could still call my stepfather dad too right because he kind of because he's playing that role because he took that role in my life yeah and uh and with your biological father did you have any relationship with him at all yes I had a very good relationship with him also after my parents divorce he he stayed in Idaho Falls he lived there but he also had visitation rights for mm. myself and my brother. And so we would see him quite often. And I had a really strong relationship with him, too. That's awesome. That's, yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And uh, and did he live pretty <coughs> close then? He lived in Idaho Falls. Yeah. And, and, lived I, in Teton and City. I lived in Teton City, so it wasn't far. Right. Yeah. Right. And we got to go visit him pretty often. Yeah. So growing up on the farm, growing up working with your siblings, with your stepdad, um, at what point did you kind of, because obviously you don't work on a farm now. No. At what point did you start veering away from that? I guess I started veering away from that uh, once I left on my mission. Okay. okay so, so entering into another transitional period was uh, when I received my mission call and, and started that process. I received my mission call to go to Stockholm, Sweden. 
Really? Uh-huh. And I served in Stockholm, Sweden from 1980 through 82. Great experience for me. Yeah. Very hard work. Um, but I formed some great relationships with my companions, the mission president and so forth, which are fairly strong today. That's awesome. Yeah. You're you're actually the second person I've had on the show who served in Stockholm. Oh, really? Yeah. The oh. the first one. He's a buddy of mine, John Muirhead. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He served. When did he get home? Must be two or three years ago now. He just oh. got home. Okay. So I mean, a while after. Yeah. You know, that's that's awesome. That's yeah. really funny. And I would like to go back someday, but I just haven't haven't done it yet. You haven't been back since. No, I'd like to. Oh wow. I mean, I guess that's an expensive plane ticket from the States. Eh? Yeah, I'm waiting for some of you students to do a GoFundMe so yeah. that I could okay. go over there. Okay. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Please contribute to yeah, uh, Rob Aronson's GoFundMe. Yeah, that's right, in <laughs> for Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah. yeah. Have you kept up your Swedish at all? No. No. No, there's not a lot of people around here that I can speak Swedish to. Yeah, yeah. So I remember some of the greetings that you use and right. things like that, but as far as having in-depth conversations nah yeah and i'd have to study again to yeah. know what to talk about yeah so that was that was your mission for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints correct and um i'm assuming at the time it was two-year missions that's right? correct because i know they did make a change well that was during times. my mission that they made the change that you could also serve 18 months oh, okay and we had that option but i chose to stay the two years i mean you're in sweden why wouldn't you yes right? yes so while you were over there uh, what was what was that experience like how did you grow how did you change <sighs> i matured yeah. Uh, in different ways. Uh, I matured spiritually, of course, and I matured uh, educationally and socially. And I saw the world in a different light. Hmm. In Teton and surrounding areas, you are surrounded, for the most part, by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. Not so in Sweden. Right. You see members of all different faiths and non-faiths, yeah. faiths, and you see the world in a different viewpoint, and that so that helped me grow and to know what it's like out in the world, other than being around here. Yeah, because be- before you left on your mission, <clears throat> had you been out of Idaho much? No, really, no. Not did you go to Montana? No, I'm even? trying to like, well, yeah surrounding right, states like right. Wyoming, Montana. I'd actually gone on a trip with my parents to of all places, Tijuana, Mexico. Really? Huh? Yeah. I don't, well, no, no. We went to San Diego. Right. And we went down to visit in Tijuana, Mexico. Right, because it's right there. Yeah. Right. That, that was a kind of a shocker for me because it was before I went on my mission. Right, and that would be way different. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting how you have those kind of formative experiences when you realize, huh, things are different in different places, right? They sure are. Yeah. Yeah, An eye-opener. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously you like it in Idaho. You're still still here. Still here. Uh, When you you got back from Sweden. Yes. What what was the path coming home like? What was okay, experience? so uh, let me go back before my mission. I ser- I served, 
I attended Rick's College for one year okay. before my mission. Right. And then after my mission, I returned home and attended one more year at Rick's College. And at that point, of course, it was a two-year college. Right. And therefore, I had to go on to somewhere else. And I went to Utah State University in Logan, Utah. Okay. And uh, still single at the time. And and when I went to Utah State, uh, I switched majors a few times. Mm-hmm. I went from business to biological uh, sciences, thinking I wanted to be a dentist, and then changed again to psychology because I like being around people, like working with people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I ended up doing was majoring in psychology when I was at Utah State. Hmm. And graduated with that degree from Utah State. And before I graduated, uh, I also married my sweetheart. Um, and we got married in 1985 while, we, while I was attending Utah State. She was attending Idaho State at that time. Oh, wow. So after I had finished with my degree at Utah State, then we went back to Idaho State in Pocatello right. so that she could finish her degree and so that I could start my graduate degree at Idaho State. Okay. Which was in uh, counseling. Okay. And so you, you obviously tried out a few different things. Yeah. Uh, you said biological sciences, business, and then mm-hmm. finally psychology. Right. What made you settle on psychology? Well, like I mentioned, it's because I enjoy being around people. And granted, you can be around people in those other two areas that I uh, had mentioned. Right. But this was more of my liking because I I enjoyed helping and listening to people about situations that they may have and helping them come up with solutions to those situations. Right. And that's where the counseling came in. I, in fact, graduated from Idaho State with a uh, Master of Counseling degree in Marriage and Family Therapy. Hmm. But to make a long story short, The secretary of our counseling department at Idaho State said that there was a school district that was on campus and they were interviewing students in the program to work as school counselors. Okay. And she said, well, why don't you just go ahead and interview just for the practice? Right. And so I did. And uh, they offered me the job. It's a school district in a place called Blythe, California. Blythe, California. Where is that? Most people have not heard of it. It's on the southeastern border, uh, Arizona and California. Okay. And desert area. Mm-hmm. Very, very hot. And so I said, well, I don't have anything else going for for me as far as jobs after I graduate. I might as well do this. 
So I went down, and I was a guidance counselor in a school, a high school down there, for a couple of years. And it was a great experience for me. Yeah. But we came back to Idaho after the two years because I had a big life transition occur again. In 1988, I was diagnosed with MS. Okay. And the doctor that I had down there in that area, he was actually in Yuma, Arizona, said to me one time, he said, what are you doing down here? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing down here? And he said, you need to get out of this hot weather because hot weather accelerates the conditions or symptoms of MS. Really? And so that's when my wife and I, and we had a young family at that time, two little kids, decided to come back to Idaho. Right. At that at that point. Right. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, and so coming back to Idaho, you were leaving a job <clears throat> that you just so happened to fall into. Right. Kind of interesting how that happened. Right. And uh, did, did you enjoy the job down there? I did. You and did. I enjoyed my coworkers. I enjoyed the students that I worked with. I mean, it was a great experience for me. It was a great f- foundation to build my other careers on. Right. So after that, we came back to Idaho, and I interviewed for another high school guidance uh, counselor position mm-hmm. in Idaho Falls at Bonneville High School. <clears throat> and they offered me the position, and I spent four years there at Bonneville High School as a guidance counselor. And then I'd heard through a friend, and this is the power of networking, mm-hmm. that there was another guidance counseling position in the Sugar Salem School District, which is three miles from here. That's just north, just, Yes. Right? So I interviewed, and they offered me that position, and I thus spent six years in the Sugar Salem School District as a guidance counselor. Hmm. Really enjoyed that experience, too. I enjoyed all of those. Which is great. Yeah, because I had principals that would say to me, you know what you are supposed to be doing in this position. We're just going to let you go ahead and do it and not really bother you at all. Really? And that's what they did. So, in other words, no micromanaging. Right, right. And so, how do you, how do you build that trust relationship with an employer to the point where they can give you the reins like that? Right. For me, like I said, it, it's kind of an easy job for me, and I'm not bragging about this, but it's an easy job for me because I feel like I can build rapport with people fairly quickly. Right. And establish a trust level with them. Right. Well, I know when I first met you, I could tell you were very friendly, very open and thank kind you. and understanding person. So Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, it, I imagine you'd be a great school counselor. So. Yeah, it, it so was nice. So you continued nice. doing that. So I continued doing that at Sugar Salem okay. for another six years until until the year 2000 or thereabouts. And then another friend of mine who worked at what was called Rick's College then, Mm -hmm. said, hey, uh, there's a position that is coming, becoming available 
at Ricks College in the Career and Academic Advising Department. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at right now. Right. I mentioned it to my wife, and she said, or encouraged me, you really need to take a look at this opportunity that's presented itself in front of you yeah. about working at Rick's College because of the growth that you can have, because of the benefits that they have, so forth and so on. So I interviewed and <clears throat> was offered the position as a, uh, an advisor, a career and academic advisor in the Career and Academic Advising Center, and that was back in the year 2000. So that was, and that was right before it became yes. BYU-Idaho. Three days before the announcement was when I was hired. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. And so so you <clears throat> kind of, you got to come in right with this, this big did. change of going from Rick's College that you knew, that you went to school here. Right. And now it's BYU-Idaho. Yes. And so coming into a new place, because you had worked at high schools before, right. Right. coming into now a university college to university setting mm -hmm. what was that experience like it was a little scary yeah anytime you go from a comfortable position to a new position in which you're not sure about all the dynamics of that area mm -hmm. it's a little scary but thankfully i had some great mentors or in other words the uh, supervisor or director at that time was very supportive of me to let me learn the ropes, per se, <clears throat> and grow into the position, you know, for that particular area. And so, again, I was not micromanaged. I was just left at my own to learn about what I needed to do. Right. And have done since. Yeah, because you've been here then. Have you been here this whole time since I have you got been hired? here this whole time. So in June, it will be 19 years oh, wow. that I've been here. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's wild to be to be at the same job for 19 years. I haven't even been working for 19 years, so yeah. I mean, someday maybe, right? Yeah, some of these students, you know, I look at them and I think, wow, I have almost been 19 years here, and they're not even 19 years yeah. old. Yeah, that's so crazy. I've had a few classes with 17-year-olds. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's pretty <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's really cool to see how different people develop at different times. Right. And that's something I love about doing this podcast is getting to see that. Right. So in those 19 years, despite being in one job the whole time, how have you changed as a person? Let's go back to your comment about being in one job the whole time. I, I, I can say that I've partially been in one job the whole time. Mm -hmm. Because the position has changed a little bit over time. I started out as a career and academic advisor. But then probably around eight or ten years ago, the position evolved into being just a, a career. I was called the career development coordinator. So okay. in other words, I was over or had stewardship over the um, career exploration classes that are offered here, hmm. the career assessments, um, the career networking center, uh, the career workshops, 
basically a lot of things career related. Right. I had stewardship over until just recently. Yeah. When I moved here into the alumni office. Right. And how long ago did you move into the alumni uh, office? Just since the first of the year. Okay. January, February. So that's something pretty like new. That. Yeah. Yes, it is. And so you've helped uh, a lot of people. That's kind of cool because you've helped a lot of students figure out what they're going to do with their career, what they want to do with their life, what they want to study. And I'm sure given tons of additional advice along the way. And then now you're working in the alumni office. I'm on the other end now. Yeah. Now now you're saying <laughs> come back, you know, like and creating that relationship. So what exactly do you do? Here? So here, here's what I do. I work in the alumni office, and my stewardship is to connect students of BYU-Idaho, whether they're on campus or whether they're online, connecting students with alumni. Hmm. So in other words, the alumni that we have are professionals in their workplaces, and the students who are here at BYU-Idaho need to take advantage of that opportunity. And so it's my role, per se, to help connect students with mentors in the right fields so that they can do things like uh, shadowing, informational interviews, or, or whatever, just so they can get an idea of what somebody does in their major, in their field, in a particular occupation, career line, whatever. Right. So I, I help that match up. And part of that match up, and, and some stu- there are some students that don't know about this resource that we have here at BYU-Idaho. It's called BYUI Connect. Okay. So if a student were to go on to BYUI Connect, then they can actually see in front of them on the computer screen alumni who are out there in various fields and occupations and see if that matches up with what they're thinking of doing and then just reach out to that alumni. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great resource that we have. And so is that something that the alumni (laughs) sign up for after they graduate? Yeah, yes, they have the opportunity to sign up for it. We have a survey that goes out to the alumni. It's called the Mighty Oaks Survey. Okay. And once they fill that out uh, and 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 mention it and, and state that they want to be a mentor, then we go ahead and uh, sign them up hmm. for that particular profession or whatever. They are then called what, uh, BYU-Idaho professionals, of which our students can contact that's awesome. Yeah. Over over the years, you must have had a lot of opportunities to interact with some pretty interesting people. Are there any things that you've learned from people over the years that have really stuck with you? It's interesting, Alex, that you asked that because I, I also teach here at the university, and I teach the career exploration class. In fact, I... The workbook that students use in that class is something that I've developed also. Hmm. And part of the workbook includes research. And there are different research questions that the students ask people 
who are in various occupations right. a set of questions. Yeah. The last question that a, a student asks is, would you do this career over again and why? It's very interesting to see what responses hmm. occur because for the most part, uh, people in careers will say, yes, I will do that again. You'd be surprised. There are some people that would say, no, I wouldn't do this occupation, even though they've been in it 15, 20, 25 years. Yeah. They'll say things like, if I had the opportunity, I would go back and get some more education. I would uh, research a little bit more about what I wanted to do and do things a little bit differently. So that's one thing that I've learned over the years is is uh, job security, job satisfaction is mm-hmm. so important for people. Because I, I tell people this, a job can go two ways. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me go back. An occupation can go two ways. Right. It can either be a job or it can be a career. Right. A job gives you two things. One, why do you get a job? Because you need what? Money. Money. Number two, what do you get from being in a job? Security. Experience. 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 Okay. Basically, those two factors right there. Right. Because you get a go into it thinking that you just want the money, it's not necessarily something that you're going to want to do for a long, long time. Right. A career gives you three things. It gives you money. It gives you uh, experience, but the third factor is very important. Happiness, fulfillment, enjoyable. Because of that third factor, then people are are more apt to stay in that career for many years to come. Hmm. Okay. The average lifespan of an occupation is right now around 35 to 40 years. So people have to ask themselves, do I want to be happy with what I'm doing? Right. Or do I not, or am I not going to be happy and switch from job to job all through my life? Right. Yeah. Granted, most people will not stay in the first chosen career for that many years, hmm. but they'll stay they'll stay closely related to that career. Right. They'll kind of hover around it till they find a niche. I'm I'm an example because I was a guidance counselor for a number of years and I enjoyed it, but I'm not a guidance counselor now, but I'm in a field that's related to it. Right. It's almost, you kind of almost do upper level guidance counseling, right? You do the orchestrating of that counseling. And, and therefore I've been in this, uh, like I said, for 19 years. So, and if you had the option, would you do it over again? I would, because yeah. I've grown a lot from this. And I feel like I've matured quite a bit through the years, too. That's awesome. And now I'm looking at the other end. Yeah. As far as my retirement's concerned. Yeah. And I think uh, we're probably looking around 2024. 2024. It's is only when, five years yeah, from now. Yeah, it's five years from now. Dang, yeah. I'll hardly be into my career. That's right. Yeah, but it's an enjoyable journey if you want it to be, yeah. Alex. Yeah. Enjoy that train ride. 
Okay. Yeah. Don't always say to yourself, oh, I can't wait until I retire. I can't wait until I have a new car. I can't wait until my next promotion. If you're doing that, you're not enjoying the train ride. You're not able to see what's out there. But if you enjoy the train ride and enjoy what you're doing, retirement will come soon enough. Hmm. And so for you, it's coming pretty soon, I guess. Eh? It is, yes. And I get, I mean, five years from now. Yes. Holy cow, if that's the expectation. Yeah. Uh, are you are you excited? Are you hesitant? Like, what are your thoughts? I I am. Um, it's bittersweet. Yeah. Because I really enjoy what I do here mm-hmm. now, but I'm also looking forward to the adventures that are coming up right. for my wife and I. And we have talked about serving a couple of missions after we retire. She's a school teacher. Oh, really? An elementary school teacher. And we'll retire about the same time. So That's awesome. Serving a couple of missions. We, our kids are spread across the United States. We'll go visit them and the grandchildren. So it, we, we'll be busy. Right. In other words. Yeah, you'll have things to do. It yeah. won't just be sitting watching the news. Right. Right. And so why, I guess there are lots of reasons to make that transition. Um, but when, when do you think that kind of transition feels right to make? Cause you've been working for a long time. You enjoy what you do. You say you're going to miss it. So why make that transition at all? What's... Well, because this is one thing that I tell students all the time. When we enter into a transitional period, mm-hmm. we are stepping outside of our comfort zones. Right. Whenever we step outside of our comfort zones, that's when we grow. I'm in a comfort zone right now. Yeah. Of, with what I'm doing here. But I want to step outside of that comfort zone, try something new so that I can grow in another area. Mm-hmm. Because as the scriptures say, all the education that we learn in this life is going with us into the next life. So why not learn as much as we can? Yeah, right. Yeah. And try to grow as much as we can. Yeah. Clearly from the story you've shared uh, with me of your life, there have been many experiences where you've been pushed out of your comfort zone. Yes. Right from the beginning, your parents being divorced when you were two, Mm -hmm. and then living with your grandparents, and then in Teton City, you know, and 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 then going to Stockholm. Yes, going to Stockholm on my mission, and um, my MS diagnosis. Yeah. That was a big transition in my life. Because I could have decided right then and there that I was just going to give up. This happened when I was 28 years old. Right. But I decided, oh, I have a full life ahead of me. I had a young family, and I'm just going to make a best, make the best of it, whatever course the MS takes. Right. And fortunately for me, it's been okay. That's awesome. My, I mentioned I had a brother who passed away. Yeah. And he passed away from MS. Really? Yeah, the MS took a completely different course with him than it did with me. Is it pretty unpredictable? It is, and they made a lot of uh, modifications and changes through the years as far as medications and so forth. 
and so that's that's helped me so i feel fortunate yeah absolutely and it, it's interesting how despite having all these things that push you out of your comfort zone that you see those blessings yeah uh, and that you see how good good things are and that you look forward to the next step yeah so the next step is retirement i guess right and so looking looking further into the future um mm-hmm. after you've enjoyed your retirement a little bit and you're looking back on your life what's what's something that you would say you are most proud of uh well i would have to say first and foremost my family you know, I've looked at the uh, successes mm-hmm. that my wife has had. She's very service oriented. I, you know, I, I love her, and and she's just uh, so unselfish in what she does for others. And then I look at where my children are and what they've accomplished, and I'm just very proud of, yeah. of them. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> it's it's always a theme. People are always so you know e- even if they're not as close to their families, family's always that number one right. priority. And it's interesting, based upon the family that I had when I was growing up. You know, we weren't overall that close, you right. know, and everything. So it, it it's become a learning process for me through the years. Right, and yeah. uh, and I mean, I think it's fantastic that you have learned that and that you've clearly put family first made that a priority i mean you talk about you know when you do retire that you and your wife will be able to go around the states and visit your children and your grandchildren so right. you've got a world's best grandpa oh yes and i did have right pi- up there i did have pictures here too but my wife took them down because they were out of date okay in other words i had more grandchildren than what was up there so yeah. she took them home and she's updating them now so. That's awesome. So at this point, I have uh, five grandchildren going on six. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's so exciting. And how many kids? <clears throat> five children. Five children. Three girls, two boys. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really exciting. Well, I look forward to, I'm going to see you more. I'm, yes. I'm you know, in Alex. here a little bit nowadays. And, uh, and thanks for sharing your life with me and for sharing these stories. <clears throat> You're welcome, Alex. And if you'll take a look at just one more thing before mm-hmm. you leave. You see my little motto up there? What does it say? Go confidently in the direction of your dream. Live the life you have imagined. Okay. So that's kind of my motto is for people to be confident in what they do and to live the life they've imagined. In other words, be a visionary. Let the child in you stay alive all through your life. Don't ever let it die and do what you want to do and be happy doing it. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for listening, not just to this podcast, but to the people around you. To reiterate that quote he shared with me, it's by Henry David Thoreau. He said, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. And I might add to that, share that life with others, by telling them about it, by listening to theirs, find out what they've imagined, and find out how you might be a part of it, even if it's just by lending a listening ear. I guarantee that by spending five minutes every day listening to somebody else, your life 
will improve in ways you couldn't imagine, and so will theirs. Part of the Little Gray Boy Podcast Network. Listen to more shows on the network, like Just Think. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. My name is Taylor Eland, and I host a show called Just Think, where I look into philosophy, theology, and other scientific ologies to figure out the underlying workings of an argument. If you would like to learn something new every week while getting both sides of a theory, go ahead and check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and Google Podcasts, along with various other networks on Sundays.